All right, so look, we got this crazy idea for a podcast where we review movies, TV, and music. It's called Son of a Ginger, and it's going to be like nothing that ever came before it. You want to know why? Why? Because nothing that came before it was Son of a Ginger. As long as I'm alive to be eating bangers and mash every morning, your podcast isn't hitting the airwaves. Not today, sir, not today. You just heard a secret recording of me pitching our podcast to some frou-frou British producer. I don't know why I flew all the way to London for that uh, meeting. That's where all the executives are, man. Anyway, suck it, executive. We suck made it. a podcast and we funded ourselves. And, and this is the podcast titled Son of a Ginger, where we review entertainment and cool movies, TV, and other things that we've seen. And we saw a, uh, a coolish movie, a fun idea of a movie called Bohemian Rhapsody. A biopic about the life and times of Freddie Mercury and his band that he fronted, Queen, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I'd say it was an important movie, and a movie that's been talked about uh, being made for a long, long, long time. It was, uh, I think it was in the pipeline and trying to be done for the last 10 years, give or take. I think it yeah. changed a lot of hands, did a lot of things. I remember, like, yeah, like getting, like, reading in the news in maybe, like, 2011, 2013, I don't know, like, early in the 2010s era. What do, you, what do you call this decade? The tens. The tens, yeah. Early. Like, th- what do you call 1910? The 1910s. The 1910s. The 2010s. 2010s. Yeah. So in, in the olden days, of the early 2010s, I remember they said, hey, we're making a Freddie Mercury movie and Sacha Baron Cohen's going to be in it. It's going to sell a lot of tickets. Put a lot of butts in the seat, you see? <laughs> Every butt in the seat and everyone will be, we will rock you right there in the theater, the queen. He's a larger than life personality. We're going to put him on the silver screen for the first time. We got a big mustache. We got Sacha Baron Cohen. We got Borat portraying him. <laughs> So then the uh, members of Queen heard about this and were like, nah, I don't think so. They were like, I don't like your vision, mate. I don't like it. I'm Brian May. I'm a curly-haired astrophysicist. You have nothing in, you have nothing in your movie talking about me wanting to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't understand that was a crucial <laughs> part of Queen's backstory. <laughs> So that's the thing, man. So, like, they, they eventually settled on uh, Rami Malek, and then they had some director issues as well uh, with Brian Singer being in some stuff. He also was not showing up to set. So those were the problems. But, like, I think that was... I don't want to say, like, the biggest problem with this movie, but it was that uh, the living members of Queen, or, like, the active members of Queen in Brian May and Roger Taylor, is that I think they just had too many decisions that affected to get the movie that we had. Yeah, I mean, like, so for context, that little funny exchange we had in this movie, it really does seem like the members of the band were in the writer's room saying, no, you got to include this. You got to make sure you include this. Remember, I studied dental school when I was in (laughs) in college. So please include that in the script, please. It really, really helped me figure out how to play the drums. (laughs) I learned how to play the teeth and now I'm playing the drums, mate. (laughs) It seems it's a funny way to just sort of peek behind the curtain without actually trying to. Yeah, because, yeah, those guys just, because they were alive, they, I think, were really wanted to tell the story that they could tell since they had that input. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I think in the movie world, it's just so damn fun to be included, and I think they wanted to make sure that they were included, you know. Everyone has a dream, or not everyone, but I would certainly be enthused if I found out a movie was being made about my life for some reason. Yeah, and I'd be in that damn writer's room every day because I'd be like, because that's the other thing, like, 
it would be like if they made a movie about my sister. And I was like, oh, I'm involved in my sister's life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the writer's room and input how I affected her life. And maybe some stuff that I know that she did, but hey, don't forget about old Patrick here, you know? Right, right. That, that's kind of some of the vibes, I think, that Brian and Roger wanted to do when they were in the writer's room as executive music producers was their credit on the Oh, it was? I didn't credits. read the yeah. credit. So I also think that's a title that was made up for them. Like, yeah. that, that is a thing, you know, probably, but I'm sure they made sure to tell. So you guys, you're not the executive producer. You're the executive music producers. Wow. Good job, Queen. Good job, you know. <laughs> Great job, Queen. Yeah. You made a movie. So we're talking about this movie that's about Freddie Mercury and Queen, but we haven't talked about any of the Freddie Mercury part yet. We're still we're, we're yeah. doing the problems of the movie, which is talking about the other guys. Yeah. But yeah, so as a brief plot summary, this film is, uh, I'll quote a Pitchfork headline, Bohemian Rhapsody basically is Queen's Wikipedia article as a biopic. Yep. And I totally agree that. it is. The brief summary is a summary of what Queen did as a band. We see their rise. We see them play as the band Smile without Freddie. Freddie goes to a bar, sees Smile play, and their bassist inexplicably quits after having a great show. And then Freddie's like, oh, well, I can sing. And then they sing. And then there's like no real conflict. And then they just begin their mercurial... Mercurial? Mercurial rise. Truly merc- mercurial rise as yeah, queen yeah. with Mr. Freddie Mercury at the helm. I, like, and then after, you know, the, the, the first, I'd say, third of the movie is about Queen's rise to fame. Yeah. And it is smooth sailing for the band. Yeah. No, nothing was tough. We, uh, we made some really hit record from the get-go. Everyone loves it. Uh, then we, you know, we get some big fancy agent that yeah. is like representing Elton John and Led Zeppelin, and piece of cake. We're just succeeding left and right. It's like once the band meets, it's immediately like, oh, we're saving money for the studio. Oh, we recorded an album. Oh, they want to represent us. Oh, th- we're we're charting, we're topping the charts in America. Oh, we're famous. We're going on an American tour. Yeah. We're so important. That everything good happens to them without any sort of problem. Yeah. That's the thing. This is all about the band's successes because we do, in this early stuff, see some of what Freddie's up to, but it also just seems like glossed over. You know, he quickly has a life partner. Yeah, engaged with Mary, uh, who... Mary Darling. Yeah, a chick that I guess he dug, but then maybe secretly didn't dig because he was... In the closet. He was, he was confused about his emotions for her. Exactly. As was she. And then uh, in a random, and then now and then as they go on tour, in a cameo that I bet you didn't know, uh, current Queen frontman Adam Lambert walks into a random truck stop bathroom and then eyes Freddie and then we're to assume... That was Adam Lambert? It was Adam Lambert. Oh my and, God. And we're to assume what? that they, uh, they did some stuff in that bathroom. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't. I guess Adam Lambert does. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, did that's, you know did you know that though? That's an odd passing of the torch. Yeah, oh my god, yes. That's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, wait, why would they include that? That's weird. Yeah, like it'd be one thing like, oh yeah, just make him like, you know, one of like the random dudes in the background during like one of like Freddie's parties, but no, he's like this yeah, truck sh- stop guy that just eyes him in this like montage of, "Hey, we're making it in America. Look at us." Let's like just envision that our recreation of Freddie Mercury 
had sexual relations with the current singer of the band. Something like I don't think anyone wants to imagine because that, that yeah, that's a weird passing the torch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you'd say like, oh, that's such a fun cameo. But it's like, uh, is that really appropriate though? I don't. Mm, uh. Yeah. So I, you know, funny that you should bring that up because I feel like in the writers' room in this movie there weren't enough people saying that. Oh, there for weren't sure. enough people saying we got to take this out. Because it it doesn't contribute anything. Yeah, but you don't know that until until I went deep through the IMDb trivia. But nonetheless, yeah. So for that, not necessarily for that reason. Uh, but you know, since we're still on the topic of the first third of the movie, Mike Myers. Yeah, he plays uh, the record executive that is uh, contrarian. He's the he's the only one that says no. He's the only one who likes to say no. And, of course, they had to bring up the irony of the fact that Mike Myers is playing it with this head-on shot of him when he's like, no teenage is going to want to sit in their car and bang their head to Bohemian Rhapsody. As then when, the 1992 film Wayne's World starring Mike Myers does so. Yep, Completely referencing the iconic scene from Wayne's World as if the movie does not show you enough how iconic Queen is. Doesn't contribute anything to the movie. It's just a little tongue-in-cheek cheap shot joke yeah. for the audience to be like hey i remember that movie hey that's mike myers wow crazy cool yeah so yeah then all these things like there's no problems really and we just keep glossing over his life and just for brevity's sake i'll go a little bit quicker with the summary but it's just like okay album cycle uh maybe a problem occurs maybe freddie and and his personal manager don't get along or something like that and they keep moving forward there's some love issues keep moving forward they're playing and then like as they do it and then there's any like band struggle they just say oh we're struggling oh but what's that idea for that song and it's like an iconic queen song and then everything's okay montage problem right new song montage with another one bites the dust it was literally these tensions between freddie and the drummer what's the drummer's name roger they've been drumming up you know roger is not as accepting of his lifestyle uh, but none of that ever came to a head. And then as it was coming to a head, when Freddie like pushes Roger in the face, they don't get in a fight or anything. The bassist just starts playing the the iconic the, the iconic And so so yeah. So then they were just like, Oh, that's a good song. And they just completely forget that they were in each, at each other's throats. Oh yeah, because I remember yeah, that exact same scene like uh the guy that plays Roger Taylor is just like, oh, I don't want to drum to this disco loop crap. None of that. There's bullocks. And then, oh, that's a great bass line. And then, tss, 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 tss. yeah, I'm really grooving. Yeah, like you in the montage, you just see him just like doing a doing like a nice like stank face nodding his head. Just, mm, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I'm really killing on the drums with this easy hi hat pattern. Yeah, 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 mate. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, the songs seem to come together in minutes. Yeah, uh, truly. Yeah, and so, same with like "We Will Rock You." Like that's the, they had a little bit of a too noticeable formula to get in and out of scenes. Yeah, you're right. It does. It seems like every song was written in the same way. Yeah, where there was some sort of conflict, and then the music ended up bringing them back together again. Yeah, and, and it, it all works out. And yeah. it, like that was just such a, a stale. Way to do it! Yeah. By the end of the movie, and give or take, and we can we can kind of go into our uh, though we're definitely already into our next point of just everything doesn't make the most sense with the story. Uh, they took some liberties with I think their history a little bit. Uh, they kind of did all that that formula that we mentioned with the biggest 
moment in the movie is Freddie leaves the band. He has a solo career. Then he finds out that he can do Live Aid, and then he tries to get them to do Live Aid again, and then it all seems to come together so easy and instantly again. And they play possibly the greatest performance of their career as after they just all got together. One of the best together. performances in rock and roll history. Yeah, exactly. You know, all just because. Oh yeah, let's get get along, get together. And then uh, we do see a great part that we'll talk about later, where they just play an entire recreation of the Live Aid concert, which was cool. But to get there, they changed up the history a lot. Um, apparently, so Live Aid concert was 1985. Freddie Mercury didn't figure out his HIV diagnosis until 87. Mm-hmm. Found out that he was HIV positive. Maybe he found out that he was like sick in some way and maybe they used that. I don't know. But that was like one thing that I saw that was like, ooh, they just kind of changed a little bit of important history to kind of slap this ending together, didn't they? Because that's the other thing with the ending, uh, with the Live Aid concert, is we were meant to think that they were, like, broken up or something. They, like, had gone and finished a tour two months ago. and then they Oh, were, really? Yeah, and then they're like, all right, uh, hey, we heard about this Live Aid concert. Let's do it. Yeah, sounds good. You know? Damn. Yeah, two yeah, months you know, is a, a welcome break. You know, we, we took two months off before we started doing this season. It was nice, you know? Yeah, I think the, the, the times where they took creative license for the sake of the plot generally didn't make the plot better it made it a little cheesier like with the telephone telethon scenes where they're like we're not making any money we don't have any money oh queen's on the stage we made a million (laughs) dollars we made so much money it's all because of queen all because of queen and and then he just looks right into the camera queen is the best band that god has ever (laughs) given us god bless queen Queen have single-handedly saved Ethiopia. Oh, my God. There, uh, that's the thing. There are so many moments like that, man. It didn't happen this way. You don't have yeah. to look it up to know. It's, that's not how it happened. And it's, and it's just a little too conveniently Hollywoodized. Because that's the thing that will happen in any biopic or any historical film is they're going to take a little bit of liberty. Right. And they're going to make a couple of changes, you know, just to button things up a little bit better. And it happens all the time. But... The way they did it with this movie, it's just too, like, oh, hey, this major thing happened in 1991, but we're just going to make it happen in 1984. Sounds great. They tried to take elements. They tried to Forrest gump it. Totally. Oh, and, man. And, but then they didn't stop to think that Forrest Gump was a work of fiction. Dude, yeah, Forrest gump There you go. You're, you're Forrest like, Gump-ified. They, they, just, they just tried to make it so that it con- like it conveniently made sense in these amazing times in the band's life. And yeah. That they were they were there and they were the, the at the center of, of all of these things. Yeah. Oh, and then that's the other thing about the conflict is their big conflict to reason why Freddie was kicked out of the band because he wants to do side projects. Everyone was doing side projects. All of them were. Uh, Roger Taylor was the first one to do it. There wasn't any big thing about him being gone, you know? Like, Freddie wasn't the first to do a side project. Like, all of them did stuff, so... So now everyone who sees his movies and doesn't bother to look it up later is going to think that Freddie Mercury accepted a $4 million contract and left his band in the dust. It's like, no, no, no one bit the dust at all. No one bit the dust. No one bit the dust. It was Everything was, I think, amicable, if uh, history proves me right. Uh, if the Wikipedia reading I did proves me right. However, there were some issues in their Wikipedia entry in that I was just reading more about like Live Aid on there and said, oh yes, uh, Live Aid uh, organized by Elton John, David Bowie, and Dave Grohl. I was like, wait, what? Da- what? <laughs> and then I went to Dave Grohl's thing. I was like, was Dave Grohl just like 
planning major concerts when he was like 20 <laughs> or like when he was like 18 and then it said that Dave Grohl didn't start his music career until 1986 and this was 1980 so uh some someone uh at Wikipedia has been messing up or some user so check that out Wikipedia um so maybe don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia yeah just in general but uh i can't found- cite it as a source in your papers yeah take that high school kids and college kids cuz i still used it <laughs> Same. I like. I still. I would look to where it was like also cited. I yeah. I would. I would go to the Wikipedia page, look at a piece of information that was fascinating, go to the citation, and go to where they got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that was the worst. Pro one. tip. Pro tip. Little do we know, our high school degrees are going to be revoked once. Uh, once we're on the air with this one, <laughs> we're going to have to go back to you school. Can, you can pry my diploma out of my diploma out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> Cold, dead, stupid hands. Cold, dead fingers. <laughs> yeah, man, I think we were talking about it last night when we saw it as well. They just buttoned everything up to just get to the next scene so quickly. Like, there was no conflict. Yeah, it it has that pacing problem that you see with a lot of movies that are supposed to span over decades or, you know, like a 20-year period where every scene is... or Like, the next scene is anxiously awaiting the end of the previous scene. Yeah. The the previous scene is meant to push the movie forward and there's no stopping and savoring any of these moments because it's moment 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 and no character is like forced to reflect upon anything. They're just and learning and growing off camera. Yeah, and then they just play like a great song that we all like bop our heads to in the theater cuz Queen music is still great. I'm going to yeah, just like bop my head to we will rock you or bop my head to another one bites the dust and then we get to the next scene and then stuff happens you know so pacing wise story wise it was a little all over the place but what was good i never said hey this is rami malik doing his role i the entire time i was like oh freddie i'm rooting for you freddie like yeah i truly i saw freddie mercury in Rami Malek's character. I didn't say, hey, this is Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury. I believe that some of the people behind the scenes of this movie, some of the executives making this movie, uh, cited not wanting Sasha Baron Cohen because he couldn't uh, disappear into the role the way they wanted to, even though I don't agree with that at all. Which is funny, yeah, because one show that we really enjoyed over the summer was Who is America? And that entire thing was, we can't recognize you, who are you? I would have loved for people. him to do a Who is America sketch with the executives that dropped him <laughs> or that, that didn't agree with him on the movie. Let's uh, let's send that to Showtime and pitch if they have any season two ideas. That's genius. Maybe he plays like an impersonator or something. Yeah. So they, it's me, Sacha Baron Cohen. <laughs> that would be great. But they, they sort of found who they were looking for in Rami Malek if they didn't believe in Sacha Baron Cohen. He really did disappear into the role of Freddie Mercury. And even though I had problems with the structure of the movie and the end result, I still think that it's like probably an Oscar-worthy performance, one of the best performances of the year. Because, I mean, he really walked and talked just like him. Yeah, you know, he, like, he really dedicated himself. I don't know how much like method stuff he was doing behind the scenes to figure that out. Of what uh, I've gathered from uh, just like the couple of talk shows that he's been on for the cycle to promote the film is sounds like a crap ton. Oh, really? A whole lot. Like, I think he always had those teeth in. Um, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe he's not that method. <laughs> he just had some dentures in. 
<laughs> so Rami, how much uh, how much method acting did you do to uh, get into the role of Freddie Mercury? Well, I put a piano on my bed and I wore some dentures, <laughs> and then I really became became Freddie. Wow, wow, Oscars, Oscars. Yeah, Rami Malek's were like, well, yeah, I put a a piano on my on my bed and wore some dentures. That's a good Rami Malek impression. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, Rami Malek did just fine. He nailed the performances down well. He talked well as him. They definitely, like, I think, over-glossed on any of the, like... Like, they definitely could have gone way more into his issues with his sexuality and his issues with HIV and everything. And it was... That was another thing that, again, just going back to story, was just went by very quickly because we have to talk about everything about Queen's career, not... The stuff that happened to Freddie. Like, we'll talk about the stuff that happened to Freddie, but in a short three to five minute scene, and that's it. And you know, where he, where he goes to the doctor around nobody. They, they really do this crazy job of just like hammering home that Freddie was lonely and kind of sad. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like at the end of the movie, I still didn't believe that he wasn't lonely and sad still. I mean, well, so one thing that we talked about like immediately after we saw the film is that. This movie really didn't couldn't pick what it wanted to be, you know. Yeah, it, it could have been, and it because it kind of did both. It, that's why it didn't succeed. You know, it has this line of like, oh, general biopic talking about the band Queen, and then a little bit of a character study of uh, how different and unique Freddie Mercury is, and the problems that he has, and do to do. And we have those splinter off in different scenes. And you mentioned it being like some other movie. Yeah, so it's it's what I'm now dubbing the Justice League effect. Oh, yes. Where it becomes immediately clear that so many people had their hands in the pot uh, and so many people were considered shot callers and surrounded yeah. themselves and were surrounded by yes men that nobody was there to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should take this part out. Uh, maybe we should change the pacing here. It gets mixed up. It's like mixing oil and water. Yeah, totally. Right? There's two different opposing factors going on there that are that are trying desperately to make a cohesive product, and it's not working. Yeah, I mean, we touched on it before, like that the Queen members were probably in the writers' room. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like behind as like you know the consultants on set, and then like you know after take you know one of them goes to Ryan Singer and just like you know that's not really how it happened. You know, it happened a little bit more like this. Do 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 do, and then so can. Rami, can you do this, that, and this? And then you just have too many too many heads talking. Too many people in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Because, man, I've been on smaller sets, but like you can either do it in a small set or one of the biggest movies of the year. People still like to be in charge, and everyone likes to be in charge and feel good about being heard and doing things. I think that's what happened because I think this film had a lot of compromises with all of those different talking heads to get what each of them kind of wanted. But I don't think we had a film that... We don't have a film that Brian May wanted. We don't have a film that Brian Singer wanted. We don't have a film that uh, the DP who shot the rest of the film after Brian Singer got fired wanted. We don't have the film Rami Malek wanted. Hell, we don't have the film that maybe Freddie Mercury himself wanted. This movie seems like the resolution to a giant 10-year argument. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I guess that in that way, it comes off as disjointed. Yeah. Because it's, it's like they tried to make everyone slightly happy. Right, like like sufficiently happy. Yeah, and uh, you know they just needed to trim the fat. Yeah, and fo and focus in. No one said no. Everyone said, 
yes to this thing. Well, yeah, we'll do that. We'll not do everything. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. And then that's, and that's the, this movie. The result is when the movie gets towards any sort of thing that could be considered compelling, it just moves in the other direction and goes straight to the next scene. Right? Yeah. The, band, the band's together. And then all of a sudden, they have this amazing camaraderie, and they haven't ex- shown how that developed, right? They're all just buds who tell jokes and are, are a family, just yeah. because, because one guy says, yeah, we're family. Yeah, mate, we're family. That's, yeah, that's the thing that just kept going. And I wonder, if, like, I wonder if they thought of things like that, or it's just what you know, Brian May thought over the course of his career after queen with freddie mercury also it was just funny with this movie like because like you can tell brian may and roger taylor were in charge they just were just so what's the word they're so like mayonnaise they're so vanilla yeah. in their portrayals you know like i'm pretty sure brian may was also like kind of a tough guy to work with and he seemed so easygoing and relaxed oh, i just want to talk about the music let's just talk about the music come on freddie let's make music you know to sum it up the the movie was slightly muddied by the perceived insecurities of the remaining band members. Oh yeah, and that sucks to hear because it seems like they had big egos, or they have they have big egos now about it. People needed the movie to be focused a little more on one thing and yeah. not be so much about I prima mean, donnas. Yeah, because like you know, I don't want to I don't want to say negative about any of these guys because these guys truly are rock gods. But and you know they're listeners, so. Yeah, exactly. I know that they'll be listening to this. All the criticism from the podcast that never make it. <laughs> I think this is a movie like about their friend and about their biggest collaborator, but they're selfish about it, man. You know, they're yeah. like, but what about me, by the way? You know, and don't, he, don't like, forget about little Brian. Don't forget about little Roger. It seems like they're like, yeah, you know, Freddie was the kingpin of the band, but or actually, actually, yeah, it was the bassist that wrote a lot of cool songs, and actually, you know. It was it was Brian May that wrote some cool songs too, and it was funny because you know we see a scene where they're just like, let's all be Queen, let's all take credit as Queen, let's not say that this was the song was written by Freddie, let's not say this song was written by Roger. Queen wrote this song, and it's funny now that all of Queen isn't together anymore. They kind of can go back to, well, actually, history says that we did do this record. I did this part. I did this part, and they kind of go back to that now that they're not a family anymore since some of the family's missing. Yeah. I do want to talk about, I think, my favorite part of the film that I think saved the film for me, in that I, just, I will see this film, it, like, I'll talk about this film in more of a positive light, is the last 25 minutes of the film were awesome, because it was a total recreation of the Live Aid concert. Shot, like, mannerism for mannerism, I wouldn't say shot for shot, I don't know how it was shot. I might watch it right after this podcast, though. You can tell where they put the money in this film and where they actually put the careful care and consideration into how everything was done. I know there's mannerism coaches, there are different choreographers to get every damn inch, every damn like hair flick, every damn clap for the crowd right and like factually and historically correct. Yeah, I was actually wondering how many of the crowd signs they accurately recreated. Yeah, they did one that just says, I love you too. I I love you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right. I didn't see Bono in this film, but okay, sounds good, you know. Mm. The Live Aid performance was really impressive. And from starting the movie, from the beginning of the movie, you know that it's going to culminate yeah. in that performance. And you wonder how it's going to get there. Yeah. And so when it when it shows up, you're like, okay, we got this. But it doesn't seem... The journey you just went on doesn't seem emotional enough to have for 
that powerful of a performance to have this sort of backstory that nobody knew before. Yeah. Like, it was just like, cool, we got all this filler to now get to the, the best part of the movie, literally yeah. the climax of the movie. And I think why this was the climax of the movie is because I think it was the climax of Queen's careers. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm sure they took all the little bit of liberties to move some things that happened in 1987 and 1988 and put that in 1984 or 1985 to then get to, all right, cool, it looks like everything's settled. We don't have any more problems as Queen. We're going to have this big performance and we're going to keep making music and be the greatest band ever until our front man dies. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what it seemed like they were getting to with how they just did everything. That right. being said, this was still just so cool to watch because we got a little concert. Yeah, <laughs> we, it, it we, was, we paid for we paid for a concert. Yeah, it was a, a, a professionally filmed, very accurate uh, recreation of a historic moment in rock and roll history, which is always cool to see. Yeah, I mean, but my way to just like I think close things out. What this movie will do is I think it'll make a new generation of Queen fans as music listeners. I mean, hell, this morning yeah, sure. I listened to all of A Night at the Opera as I played video games, and mm-hmm. it was nice. I listened to some songs I hadn't heard before or hadn't listened to in a long time, and I was transported. And I was like, "Wow, these these guys really are rock gods. These yeah. guys freaking rock." I mean, naturally, Queen like Queen's back catalog is definitely going to go up the charts. Yeah, after this. And, and I, I guarantee you, the soundtrack for this movie is going to go gangbusters. Uh, yeah, I think it's currently tied or beating A Star Is Born right now. This movie will be good for Queen in that even if the movie doesn't do well, their music will see another resurgence that it saw uh, after Wayne's World happened, you know? Yeah, sure. That got, that got a new generation, and this truly is a new generation of you know millennials and maybe some Gen Zers getting to see it after the Gen Xers enjoyed uh, Wayne's World 25 years ago, you know, 26 years ago. For sure. Let me close out by saying I enjoyed the movie. It's good, the, you know, we call it popcorn movies. You know what I mean? I've, I'm not disappointed that i went to see it in the theater sure but it helped uh, that we saw it with our dwindling movie passes exactly well. i i enjoyed uh, i have enough to say about that company's app but uh <laughs> mason was just in the lobby for five minutes behind just trying to get his ticket back up yeah i enjoyed myself watching the movie because it's it'd be hard not to you know there was there were enough good decisions made to where i enjoyed myself sitting in the seat yeah watching it but I think all of my problems with the movie can be summed up by my problem with the movie's title, mm-hmm. which is the Bohemian Rhapsody, because it seems like the most low-hanging fruit title and a title that everyone could, no matter what their opinion was, agree on. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't. They didn't decide to give it a title with any sort of intrigue. Anything about Freddie any, Mercury yeah, or any, any sort of thing that might be revealed about Freddie that nobody knew before. Yeah. You know, they called it. The mustached man, or I don't know, you know, like Farouk. Yeah, Farouk. Yeah, his, his birth name. Yeah, the movie just seems like it was hurt by compromise. Yeah, man. Because also, like with uh, with what is it like Bohemian Rhapsody? Like, what if every movie just had that naming convention of like how lazy? Like another big biopic that came out in the last ten years. What would, what would they call like the Social Network? They just call it Facebook. Like if they if they just called the Social Network Facebook. Yeah. Or the Facebook. What's another one? I saw uh, First Man. I saw that the other first, day. Yeah. What would First Man be called? One Small Step. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Like it, it, it's all of it, that would be such a stupid title. What about uh, what about Steven Spielberg's Lincoln? What would they call that? Honest, honest Abe. It's like if they made a, a movie about Bob Marley and called it Three Little Birds. Oh my goodness! You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's like I can't even explain. You know, someone will be like, "Oh, do you like Bob Marley? What's your favorite song?" Three Little Birds. It's like you don't like Bob Marley. Like you're. You like Bob Marley like everyone else likes Bob Marley. Yeah. You like the idea of Bob Marley and you think he's a great guy to wear like a t-shirt for, but you haven't listened to more than three songs from him. Yeah. You haven't go- listened to anything but his essential collection. Yeah, exactly. How about uh, Son of a Ginger? What's uh, one for that? I'd call it nonsensical pontification. Movie dudes. <laughs> movie dudes. Uh, hey, no. it's movie dudes. <laughs> so here's my summation of... This movie, here's my headline, here's my pitchfork headline, right? Bohemian Rhapsody is the best greatest hits Queen album with none of the B-sides. Yeah, man. For anyone to truly enjoy the band, they have to find the B-sides that they love. Because you know how iconic the hits are already. Yeah, but to like have those songs that don't mean something to everyone, but that one that got like no play, that means a lot to you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right? In the context of the metaphor, the movie just sort of shows you everything great about the band and nothing new. Yeah. Tell, maybe tells you some bad things. I wouldn't say shows you bad things. Yeah, it tells you, tells you bad yeah. things. Yeah, and then it just keeps on going. Well, with that, I don't think I want to tell them any more bad things. Uh, Mason, can you tell them some good things of how to listen to other podcasts? You can find our other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, darling. Wow, darling, wow. Oh, with that, darling, I've been Patrick Baylor. I've been Mason Moreau Mercury. Mason Mercury Moreau, and I've been Patrick Pluto Baylor. <laughs> You're not a planet anymore. No, I'm a planet again. You're a dwarf planet. I'm no dwarf. With that, y'all, I'm Patrick Bailey. I'm Mason Murrow. <laughs>